This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Perikhof Pasuk Yud Tes. Perikhof Pasuk Yud Tes. He says, Hashem said to Moshe, This is what you should say to Bnei Yisrael. Right? Atem Re'isem. You have seen. Kimina Shamayim Dibarti Yimachem. That from the heavens, I have spoken to you. That I have spoken to you from the heavens themselves. Now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is clearly trying to tell Moshe Rabbeinu, right, that this is something that the people should know. Right after this, it says, you shouldn't make for yourselves you shouldn't make these gods of gold and gods of silver, you shouldn't make these things for me, etc. And it goes into like all the different issues that are involved here. Now, the Ramban explains that this entire Pasuk, is only here to explain the next few psukim. In other words, it's about the silver and gold golds, gold idols, the gods, in the psukim that follow. You saw by our Sinai that I'm the ruler above, I'm the ruler below. You have no need for anything else. That's why you can never make small idols or any other materials that might be considered like that. They're not necessary. They're not going to help you. I'm here for you, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm willing to come to you. I'm willing to bring myself, so to speak, down to Har Sinai, right, in order to be a part of you. There's nothing else for you to believe in. So this Pesach is, you saw it yourself. You have no need for anything else. That's how the Ramban puts it. The Shach says that they were not allowed to have Emtsoyim. And Tzoyim means middle ground, like a middle, an in-between, between them and a Kaddish Baruch Hu, right? What the idea is, is that no matter what, if you need to speak to me, says the, says the Shach, then speak to me directly. You want to daven in the morning? You don't need anyone else to daven for you. And in fact, you can't be Yotze with someone else davening for you. If I would go up to somebody else and I would ask them, say Kriya Shema for me, that doesn't work. If I want them to daven Shema Nasri for me, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. You heard the Kolos again and again and again. There's no need for me to speak to you in any other way other than the way that we just did. Yavarbanel says the exact same thing and he says that's what the Ramban means to say as well. That the point is that there should be no in-betweens between the two of us. And Rapersh adds to this and he says even if we make something to represent HaKadosh Baruch Hu to us. That's going to be absolutely forbidden. Again, I'm not bowing down to this item. I just want to remind myself of what I once saw in Harsinai. I saw something and I want to remind myself of it. That's the problem over here. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to make himself present to us, if he wants to be right in front, front of us, so to speak, it's going to be through his bracha. It's by, by his dwelling in the Mishkan or in the Besamikdash at some point. Symbols and representations that we make are going to be different from any other religion. <coughs> Sorry. Over there, they're doing it to remind themselves that there is a God. <coughs> by us, all symbols, all representations is something to remind us of what we're supposed to do. Our symbols, tzitzis to remind ourselves that we have 613 mitzvahs. Our symbols, a kippah, to remind ourselves that there is a God above. In Aron Kodesh, to remind ourselves of the Aron Kodesh by the Besamekdash itself. But something to represent God, something that's Him, a statue, a picture, anything like that, there's no such thing. That we don't do. Then it's see that's something else. People think that only the great men of the generation have a connection and a revelation from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's their connection and that's it. Not so. Not so, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I spoke to you directly. I didn't do it through Moshe Rabbeinu, even though that's not a peer, that's not something that happens at all times, but I didn't need someone else to be there for you. I didn't need an intermediary at all. Just like I spoke to you, I want you to daven to me. I, I want you to daven. And Hashem will listen to your tefillos, even if you are in your own mind, 
a simple, lowly person. Somebody who's a nobody. It doesn't make a difference. To me, you're something. Yeah, Shlomo, what were you going to ask? When they spoke to him. Yeah. We'll get to that. Right? Obviously, they did go to Moshe Rabbeinu and they say, that's enough. Right? But they, the whole point of the revelation was that there would be HaKadosh Baruch Hu talking to Klau Yisrael. They felt weak enough that they needed Moshe Rabbeinu to be there. And therefore, they asked Moshe Rabbeinu to be the in-between. But that cannot be the full, con- the, the, the full relationship that we have with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Kaddish Baruch Hu will always make himself available to us. It's our job to make ourselves roi to be, to get that shefa, to accept that shefa from above. That's the whole point. Yeah, but not from Moshe speaking to us. That's a totally different no, no, issue. That Rambam has nothing to do with this. No, it's just part of the idea of Hashem that they should share speaking was, was more that Hashem speaking to Moshe. Again, but that has nothing to do with this. That's because they saw that Moshe Rabbeinu was on Har Sinai and then went there for 40 days and 40 nights. That's what the Rambam means. He doesn't mean because Moshe spoke through Hashem to us. That has nothing to do with that. No, the whole point of Har Sinai was that Hashem spoke to us, even though they couldn't handle it in the end, and they asked for an intermediary. But that is the point of what Har Sinai is. You saw it. You did, you did experience it, even though it was really, really hard. Now, the Chizkuni says something interesting. They saw images at Har Sinai. Now, again, the way that it's described in the Medrash, and I'm going to be very... Like, it's anthropomorphic. It's as if we're describing God in human terms. And obviously that's not true. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not a human, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu has nothing to do with human things, and that's an obvious thing altogether. But nonetheless, they did see images. It wasn't just empty clouds in front of them. Something that helped them understand everything that they were experiencing at Harsinai. So what would be an issue is if they decided to draw that image down, to have that as their thing, their talisman, so to speak, to be around there, that would be an issue, because Chizuni said that they saw something Thing, that's going to be absolutely forbidden. Now the Kleyakar brings him a chilta in Yisro, Parsha He, and he says that what the people saw, they experienced in different ways. For example, by Kriyas Yamsev, when they, so to speak, saw HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they pictured a strong man riding in on a horse or being super strong. That's what they saw. Strong warriors going out to battle and they saw the color red representing blood and bloodshed, etc. Based on a pasuk in Yeshaya Samach Gimel. On Har Sinai, they saw an old man sitting in yeshiva all day with white hair and a long white beard. That's what they experienced. That's how they pictured what a Baruch Hu is. Chas v'shalom, that is not Hashem. There is no such thing as an image of Hashem. It's just what their minds allowed them to think of and how they pictured God. In their own minds, they conjured up a picture of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu was going to be. And that's what they saw. And it's again based on Daniel, Parag Zion, what Daniel experienced. Silver and gold represent the colors white, that's silver, and red. Gold is a reddish tint to it, right? Those are the two colors right over there. And the images that would be made for those colors would represent what they saw. The white gods, the silver gods, would represent what they saw at Harsinai. The gold gods, the red gods, would be what they would be representative of what they saw at Kriyas Yamsuk. Again, what Akash Baruch was telling them is, but that's not me. You're putting something together thinking 
that this is representing who I am. But that's not me. That's just what your minds could conjure up because we're so limited in our experiences to see something that you cannot do. And that's the reason why he says specifically silver and gold gods. Every god is us, or it's not just silver and gold, but silver and gold represented what they experienced, what they saw. In addition, he says, silver idols would show someone coming close to Hashem. While a red idol would be like Midas Adin, someone staying away from a vengeful or wrathful God, placating such a God. That's the idea. Instead, says Hashem, don't make either one. I am not just a vengeful God taking, you know, taking vengeance against your enemies. I'm also not just a God of Rachamim and Chesed. I have both, says a Kaddish Baruch Hu. I, all of that is about me. All I want you to do, and this is the end of the Parsha, is to make a Mizbeach Adama. Something that represents your Hachna, your humility, because that's what I want from you, not those things altogether. And that's the Milui. He says the Milui of Hashem's name. Yud, Yud Vav Dalet, Hey, Hey Aleph, and Vav, Vav Alavav, are all the smallest in gematria of any of the letters of the Aleph days. So I tried that. I didn't think it was true. It's 100% true. Aleph is 111. Bez is 412. Gimel is, what, 70, 83, right? Dalid is 434. Keep going all the way through. The three smallest letters are Hey, Hey Aleph, Vav, Vav, Allah, Vav, and Yud, Yud, Vav, Dalit. Even if you did a Yud in there for Vav and Vav, Yud, Vav, they're the smallest numbers of any of the letters of the, of the Hebrew alphabet when you spell them out completely, which is absolutely amazing. That means that HaKadosh Baruch was telling us that message that he wants that hachna, he wants that humility more than anything else out there. That's the idea behind it. The Oznayim Torah and the Kedushas Levi, it's very rare that you'll find Rav Sorotskin and the Rav Levius and Rav Ditchev saying the same board. But they both say that B'nai Yisrael should not think that a Kaddish Baruch Hu was too high up for them for them to connect to. And they'll have nothing to do with them in the future. Yes, as Shlomo pointed out before, they did ask Moshe to speak with them because they couldn't handle it at the time. That's true. The Aserah Zedibros was too much. But Hashem told them that the Torah was being brought down to their level. It was being given to them. Not that they had to go up to Shemayim and receive it the way Moshe Rabbeinu did. No, the Torah is going to be given directly to them so that they can understand and they could feel that it's theirs. So it's yours. You can feel like it's yours. And that's the word, imachem. They shouldn't think that there should be something else in between. This is what you need. This is all you need. You don't need anything else, says the Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's the idea. The Imre Shefer and the Oznayim Torah both say it would make sense why Hashem would warn them about this right now. So here's the pshat. They had just told Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem said before again, that they couldn't handle speaking to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Right? That he should be the in-between. That Moshe Rabbeinu should be the in-between. And a Kaddish Baruch Hu was masking. Because Baruch said, good, Moshe will be the in-between. Says the Amr Shefim, the Oznayim, the Torah. Don't think that this is how it's going to work in the future. That you can potter yourself from your chiv of davening because there's a gavel davening for you. You can just ask some rabbi to get up there and you should daven for me. Don't think that that's what your lives are going to be like. Don't create images for yourself and think to yourself that it could be easy now. I don't need anything more because I asked Moshe Rabbeinu and Moshe Rabbeinu can do it. So now I can get that intermediate, that guy right there. Says the Kedushas Levi, uh, the Oznayim Latour, says the Emre Shefer, this is something that was inappropriate. Asking Moshe Rabbeinu to be there as an in-between because you can't handle it anymore, that's something that's appropriate. That's the idea of what it's going to be in between them because he was going to be something there. But clearly, there was something up with what B'nai Yisrael was thinking and that's why 40 days later, they created an Egel Azov. 
as soon as they saw that Moshe wasn't there anymore, this mindset of we need something, we need something there was clearly there. And they made a golden idol, an Egel Azov, to connect to HaKadosh Baruch It's clear that they this obviously was an issue by Klal Yisrael. This was something that was in their minds already. And Hashem is preempting that by saying, don't do it. I know what you're thinking. Don't do it. As Nainal Torah adds to this, to make sure that they wouldn't worship the mountain itself. Now the truth is, we don't know where Harsinai is. But one of the reasons for that is because it's not about Harsinai. Yes, Harsinai is awesome because the Torah was given to Harsinai. But can you imagine, I, we all know people in Klal Yisrael. For sure there would be people who would be taking pilgrimages there every Shavuos and hold that it would be usher. We make a shrine out of Rabbeim's Kvarim. Do you know what we would do for Harsinai? It would be crazy. Now again, there is a good thing about that, that people feel like they're getting a closeness to a rabbi who I guess can help them when he's dead. But there's something weird about that as well. And we have to realize that. We have to realize that's not the way we do things. We have a connection on our own. It's great to have Gedolim to help us. But that's not the real connection. It says the Aslan in the Torah, the mountain had Kedusha for that moment, but it wasn't always Kadosh. They should know that a place is not Mechabed, the people that live there. It's the people that are Mechabed, the place. That's the idea that he says over here. That so more. He adds on that this whole Parsha seems to be unnecessary. The reason why, he says, is because there's nothing here that we don't know already. That's how the Torah more says. He says, well, we know about Avodah Zarah. We know you're not allowed to do Avodah Zarah. We also know what they saw at Harsinai. Those things are super obvious. But you know what this teaches us? It teaches us what B'nai Yisrael really achieved at Matan Torah. Before the Torah was given, they were promised schar in this world. That their enemies were going to be punished. That was going to happen. You saw what I did to the Mitzrayim. Your enemies will be punished. There's going to be reward here. And that there were going to be a nation that everyone was going to be jealous of. That's something that would be there. Before Matan Torah, it was all about this world. It's after Matan Torah, after the Torah was given, they were told about the hidden reward for Tzadikim Lasudlavo. Says the Torah more, that they're going to sit there and enjoy the Ziv Hakavo, the Shechina, resting upon them in Olam Abba. That's only going to be achieved, Hashem said, when you die. And this message is an unbelievable message. Don't even think about getting involved in a Vodazara. Don't get involved in these statues that are filled with absolutely nothing. You've seen it yourselves, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told them. You saw what your reward is going to be like, Lasset Lavo. I have never allowed the Ziva Shechina, the glory of the Shechina, to be upon people in this world. You've never felt that experience. And guys, I wish I could feel... It's like getting a suntan that is the absolute perfect suntan with the right amount of cool air being blown on you while you feel the warmth and the heat of the sun, while you've got a really cool drink, the heat while the coolness at the exact same time, that Ziva Shrina that came upon, that's like a billionth of this experience. And that experience, says the Kaddish Baruch you achieved at Har Sinai. Imagine that a million times over every second of every day after you die. You never knew that such a thing could exist. Now you know. And now that you know it, now you know what the future reward is looking like for you. That's the idea that the Torah more says. So he says, Atemri Sem, you saw it, you experienced it, you had a Lamhaba in your pocket. That's the idea of what you need to have. So that's how the Torah more understands it. There's more. Rashi says that the words Kosomar, 
Go tell B'nai Yisrael means Moshe Rabbeinu should say these words exactly to B'nai Yisrael. Is a famous thing. Normally, when Moshe Rabbeinu is given a nevuah, it's zehadavor. It's something clear, something you can point to, and something that's just like this. Every navi said ko amar Hashem. So says God. They weren't able to get that nevuah of asap aspaklaria hameira that was in front of a kaddish baruch They got aspaklaria she'ina hameira. The difference between them is, so to speak, like this. Look at that window. You see the words that you can see behind that window over there? You can see the windows. Aspaklarium ear is something that's clear. It's a window. Sometimes you can see the reflection of the lights backward, right? So it's not a fully clear vision like it would be if I'm speaking to you without any glass between us. But it's clear that you can see what's behind it. The opaque glass that's over here where you can see the basic lines of cars going by with little lights that are going by at that time. That's Bakalaria She'ena Meira. Zadavor you can point to and you can say that's that. And that's Moshe Rabbeinu's Nevuah. Kolamar Hashem is like the Nevuah that you're saying, I got the basics, but I can't point at it to you. I can't say it's exactly like this. Moshe Rabbeinu's only Nevuah of Kolamar Hashem is this one. It's Kolamar. It's Kosomar. Say this, and the reason why, says Rashi, is because he had to say exactly this. Sounds like other times he could say whatever he wanted to. But this time, the message had to be exactly these words and nothing different. And we have to wonder, why were these the exact words? Well, what's up? Oh, okay, sorry. But Shari Aram says this means that Moshe had to tell it to them in Hebrew. This is super interesting. I never really thought of this before. What language was the Torah given to B'nai Yisrael? Did all of B'nai Yisrael know Hebrew? And I know, I know the Medrash, that B'nai Yisrael left Mitzrayim because they didn't speak the language of the Egyptians. That might be that they were more used to Hebrew than Egyptian. It still could be that it was easier for them to hear Egyptian than it was Hebrew. I don't think they had an inability to access the language of Egypt. It's just that they wanted to speak Hebrew more than anything else. If some people didn't understand Hebrew, and there might have been the Erev Rav, I don't know why the Erev Rav would have known Hebrew, it could be that Moshe Rabbeinu could explain to them the Torah in another language. But over here, what we're saying right now is Kosmar says to Shariaron, it had to be in Lashna Kodesh, based on the concept that Ko, anything that says Ko, or Kacha, or Ania, or Amira, had to be in Lashna Kodesh. What are you going to say? Because there are Mbans, whatever, the Lashon Ivri that Yasef knew and Hari didn't. So... The Ramban says, yeah. the Ramban, whatever, Machlekes Ramban, Ibn Ezra, whether they spoke, like, Lashon Ivri was Lashon Akkadish or not. So if it wasn't, then they knew another language. So it was another language. Another language that they would have had, which would be super interesting if you'd have, like, an, a, a quasi-Arabic language that wasn't known as Lashon Akkadish that Paro may have known. What? Now, Aramaic wouldn't have been there yet because that would have been up when they went to Babel. But this Ivri language, which is like Arabi, that would be it. That's correct. The writing of the letters without a question was different. But the question really is that the language itself, what were they saying? Yeah, that would be a good, that's a good machlokas to go with. That that would be the idea behind it. But the Shari Code, Shari Aaron says here, it, Use makbid on the language. It's got to be Hebrew. It's got to be that. The Divrei David, that's the Taz, says Moshe Rabbeinu might have thought to change some of the Lashon here because it says, V'im mizbeach avonim tasali. If you make a mizbeach avonim, obviously you got to make a mizbeach. 
So why did it say the word ve'im? Maybe Moshe would change that, says Hashem. No, I want the word ve'im. For whatever reason, I want the word ve'im. Be'er Basada says Moshe Rabbeinu might have try, tried to change the Lashem because it's Soser something. As we'll see later on, there's a contradiction here in what happened with Hashem. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, no, leave the exact language. I need this language to be exact. Yeah, Shlomo. I, I don't know why that would matter. Why can't the Shekhinah speak me Grono Shalmosha in another language? I think it's different. I think when he's talking to B'nai Yisrael, like by the Dayonim, right, and he's explaining parts of the Torah to them, I'm pretty sure he could do it in any language he wanted. Of course, Shekhinah Mendabra, told Grono Shalmosha for that which Hashem wanted him to say directly. What about the indirect speech? What about the hundreds and thousands and maybe millions of hours that Moshe was speaking to the people about the Torah? This had to be done in Hebrew. The others could be done in some other way. But I agree. Yeah, obviously there is a Shekhinah to- that's speaking that way. No, I think the point is that he should always keep with this Lashen and make them darshan it as opposed to him darshaning it for them. That's the idea, that he has to say exactly what this wording is. There is another way of looking at this. Tali Oros brings a Ruach Chaim by Ruchaim Velazhner that says before Matan Torah there was only Gemilas Chassadim and Avoda. Yeah, they had Torah but they didn't have the Torah like we have it today and they studied what the Avos taught them and the dreams that they had but they didn't have a real Torah. They They figured out how to live their lives. Gemilas Chassadim, Avoda, that type of thing. And the idea is is that Avoda had no set time. You could do whatever you wanted whenever you wanted to. You could bring a korban whenever you wanted to because that's just the way it was. You felt like bringing a korban? Bring a korban. There was no set time for that avoda. The first time that changed was by the korban Pesach, which had to be brought on the 14th of Nisan to be eaten that night. That was the first time that someone was like that. Chesed was done according to the thought process of the person doing the chesed. You might think that something is a chesed. So you did it as a chesed. That's not the way the world runs anymore. The world after Matan Torah no longer is, I'll, I'll decide when I want to bring a korban. Or, I'll decide I want to do a chesed. You want to bring a korban, Talmud? You can't. You can't. That has to be done by the tzibor at certain specific times during the day. You want to bring, I don't know, let's just say a korban chatas. I like a korban chatas, but I didn't have a sin that I, brought, I need to bring it for. No, you can't. You can't just bring a korban because you want to bring a korban chatas. You have certain chiyuvim for it. And if you don't have those chiyuvim, you can't bring them whatsoever. So too when it comes to chesed. There are certain people who think, I want to do this chesed. This is a good thing for me to do. If it's against the Torah, then you cannot do it. The Torah decides what a good thing is. And the greatest example of this, Ruach Chaim says, is an example with Rabbi Akiva. This is brought down in Smachos, Paragdalit. Rabbi Akiva found a dead body on the side of the road. So he picked it up and he carried it a bunch of miles to a basic cross, to a cemetery, and buried it. And then he went to the base matters and he told them what he did. I found a body on the road and I carried it all the way to a basic cross and I buried it there. And they told him, every step you took was like you killed the guy. Because a mace mitzvah, which this body was, is Kona Mekomo. It acquires its place. You should have buried it right there on the side of the road. That's how you were supposed to do it. And Rabbi Kiva realized that chesed is not according to what I think. Chesed is according to what the Torah defines as chesed. I might think I'm doing the kindest thing in the world and I'm killing the guy. I'm killing the guy. 
That's what the Chachamim were telling him. And the Ruach Chaim says, this is the difference. Doing something different no longer is avoda and chesed. Doing something because you think it's the right thing to do is nothing. And that's the idea of how to look at kosomar of Yisrael. Don't do things. You saw what I showed you. That's what you do. You don't do anything different. There's more. Rashi says that atemri sem is something that's really, really important. There's a huge difference between hearing something and seeing something with your own eyes. Experiencing it yourself versus hearing what somebody else said. What we would call second-hand information. Right? He might be a first-hand guy. He saw it first-hand or he experienced it first-hand. But if I didn't see it, I'm never going to feel the same. Says Rash, says Hashem, Atem Re'isem. Not Atem Shematem. You saw it. You saw it with your very eyes. You know it because you saw it with your very eyes. The Miyamalei says the exact same thing is true by a Navi. When a Navi hears something directly from Hashem, he's not allowed to listen to anyone else who tells him to do something different. But if he only heard it from another source, from another Navi, or from a Malach that's not in the same way as regular Navua, which is something to discuss or whatever it is, right? Then he's got to listen to a second Navi and the second Navi could nullify the first. And that's the difference. The Navi hears it directly. He cannot go against that. It's automatic. Here's it indirectly, then it goes the other way. Now, it's amazing. And again, the reason why is, because the Navi should say to himself, if Hashem told it to me directly, then if he wants to nullify it, he's going to have to tell it to me directly. It can't be done indirectly. If he told it to me originally one way, then it should be done. It should be taken away that way. You can't do it in any other way. This was the mistake of the Navi Edo. And I know nobody knows who Edo is. Only appears once in Tanakh. But he is the Navi who told you, Ravan ben Avat, that he was going to die, there was going to be a, a, a king later on, Yoshia, who's going to live 200 years later, who's going to use the Mizbeach of Yeruvim to sacrifice the Ovdeh Baal, the, those who worship the Baal. Right? When Yeruvim and Avat tried to get him and said, seize him, his hand withered and dried up. And he asked Ido, please, please daven for me. Ido daven for him, his hand came back, and he asked Ido to eat with him. And Ido said, no, Hashem told me I have to leave immediately. So Ido was to go back to Malchus, Malchus Yehuda, he was leaving Malchus Yisrael, go to Malchus Yehuda. And an old man, an old man Navi, maybe he was a Navi, maybe he wasn't, ran over to Ido and said, Hashem said you, can, you should come eat by me. And I guess Ido was hungry and thirsty. He had gone the whole day without eating anything. And he did. He turned to eat by the Ishzakim. In the middle of the meal, the Ishzakim did have an Evuah, said you're going to be eaten by a lion. Ido left. He was eaten by a lion. He wasn't eaten. He was killed by a lion. And the lion stood around him. The old man picked up his body, buried him, whatever. What was Ido's problem? Ido's problem is that he should have known if you get a message directly, a Navi cannot knock that out. If it wants to be knocked out, Hashem has to tell it to you. You can't hear it from anybody else. It's Avram Avinu's problem. Avram Avinu, when he was doing the Akedah, was told by a Kaddish Baruch to do the Akedah. And a Malach called out from him Shemayim and said, Avram, Avram, and he didn't want to listen because it was a Malach. If Hashem wants to tell it to me, then Hashem should tell it to me directly. Avram was on a lower level of Nevuah, says the Chassam Sofer, he wasn't able to fully understand what was considered from a Malach, what was from Hashem. At the end of the day, it was the right thing for, for him to obviously not do it, etc. But that's the point. You heard me say this. Not just you heard me. You saw what was going on at Har Sinai. If I'm going to take back any of my mitzvos, it's got to be from me. It cannot be from anything else. Now, if Elio Anavi wants to bring a Corbin outside the base of Mikdosh and Har Carmel, that you could do once. If a Navi decides that they're going to suspend a certain mitzvah for a short amount of time, that's going to be okay. But if a Navi says that a mitzvah is taken out, you don't have to worry about this anymore, this mitzvah doesn't apply anymore, 
that you kill him for. Because if I wanted to tell that to you, I would have done it myself. That's how the Miyam always puts it, and that's what it means by a Tamri Sam. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yes. But that's all within the concept of how to apply a mitzvah and when to do what when. That's the idea of like taking it out for one second. But if Esau Sashem would not be take away Chalitza forever, for example. We have Yibum, and the concept of Yibum is still there. We just tell people, don't do Yibum, it's better to do Chalitza. That would be like Esau Sashem Eferu Torah Secha. That's the concept. But when the Gemara brings it down, doesn't it bring it down by like greeting uh, people with the name of Hashem? It's not a one-time thing, it's a regular thing. That's correct, but that's not going against the Torah. Lo Sasun is to curse God, or Lo is to use it within a Shvua. It's not going against the Torah, it's just using something where we figure, we found out based on the Torah itself, because the Malach did it by Gidon, and because by Boaz, right, Boaz greeted his coats from that way. From those two, we understand that that's the way to greet. So that's the idea behind it. But it's not uprooting anything. Then it's going to be okay, even though that's going to be out there. Now, that's that. Rabbi Noah says something amazing. He says that only B'nai Yisrael saw Hashem, not any of the other nations. They may have had the concept of Nevuah, but none of them ever got to the level that B'nai Yisrael achieved at Harsinai. The Rabbi Yoel says, ah, okay, that's something different. And then Rashi points out a steer. And this is going to be our last thing that we're really going to learn today until we get to the story, right? Here it says that a Kaddish who spoke to them from the heavens above, right? But in Yud Teschof, Parak Yud Teschof, it says, by Yered Hashem al-Harsinai. Hashem came down to Harsinai. He spoke to us down here on earth. Where did God speak to us? Did God's word come from above? Or does God's word come from below? Where exactly is that thing, that idea? So there, says Rashi, we have a third Pasuk to be on Chriya Ben-Eyam. It's in Boaz Chanan, Dalid Lamed Vav. And it says, Mina Shamay Mishmeachas Kololi Asrecha, from the heavens, he let out his voice, right, to be able to beat Miyasar you, to knock you down. And from the ground, he showed you the Esha Gedola. And there, Rashi says, the covered of Hashem, so to speak, is in the heavens. But his Esh and Gevura is down here in this world. There seems to be a difference. Now, obviously, Again, I talked about anthropomorphism be- b- before. You can't deal with these types of the divisions of a Kaddish Baruch Hu and to understand there's an Eish, but there's also Koach and Gvura. I don't know how to describe this. So I'm going to go, when we speak about a Rosh like this, I'm just going to say, I don't understand it. There's something that's there. The Ramban is going to argue with them, but I don't even understand what the argument could be about. I don't understand the concept of something that could be described physically when it's not really physical. But another answer could be that a Kaddish Baruch Hu leaned down the heavens and made them touch the mountain. Said the mountains and the heavens touched. There's a great Gemara that I've never understood in Sukkah in the first parak on Dafhei that deals with this concept of whether our Kaddish Baruch Hu came within Tent Bacham Moshe Rabbeinu and went up to the Tent Bacham. I have no idea what it means. And I've tried really hard to go into the Achronim to try to understand it. There are no real Rishonim, the Ritva. But like, I have no idea what's going on with that. And this idea as well. The Rokeach says the same. He turned the heavens by one Shvil. I don't even know what that means. And that's where the Dibor came from. The Sforno describes this with the Pasik, Hamagbihi la Shaves, Hamashpili Liros. Right? He's Magbihi la Shaves. He dwells on high, but he lowers himself 
to see the people that are around here. It's so to speak as if Tamida says, it's as if he combined everything he had in Matan Torah to allow it to be as if the heavens and the earth were both speaking HaKadosh Baruch Hu's word at the exact same time. The Ibn Ezra says something amazing. He says, people get very confused when they read these psukim. They don't know what to say. It's very obvious to the whole, that the whole world, above and below, are filled with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is every, every millimeter, every part of this world, every atom is part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and everything in space, everything that exists is all part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he says, someone who has a heart will understand this, but for those who don't have a heart, I'll give you a muscle. The muscle is, right, it would be as if there was a person standing on Harsina, but if you're standing on Harsina, your head is in the heavens, but your feet are on the mountain itself. What that means when it comes to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, he says it doesn't matter. But that's the way we have to describe a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And the Ramban, in a surprising twist, says the Ibn Ezra makes more sense to him than Rashi. And he goes with the Ibn Ezra, and he says, that makes more sense to me. Again, what this Maklokis is, I can't tell you. I could guess, and it probably would make me an Apicorus. So I'm not going to guess. I'm going to leave this as it is, and I'm going to leave it for people that are much greater than me, but they all say this. I will tell you, there is a Malvin who bases this all on a Maklokis between, in the Sifra, Vayikra, Simen, Hey, between Rebbe Akiva and Rebbe. There's an Arugas Abosim as well that also go into this, but I'm going to end with this story. Alenu Lushabach says one time when he was in really good mood, Rav Lazar Man Shach, Rav Shach, told his family and his close to me what happened to him in his youth, right, when he was younger, that caused him to take on the responsibility of leading Klal Yisrael. Rav Shach was a very polarizing figure in the Haredi world. He was very political, starting a good as Yisrael, Gimel, right, the different political parties. And he was very, very stark on the people that he thought were wrong and that people should follow the Degel HaTorah, the way of the Torah itself and what they have. And it was very, it's not easy. Being political and being a Rav is not an easy thing to be able to do, especially as a Rosh Yeshiva of a very polarizing Yeshiva, of Panovich Yeshiva, which is an amazing Yeshiva. But he, it was definitely hard. And I guess at one point when they asked him why he was willing to take on the responsibility, anybody else could do this. It didn't have to be him. He told over this story. He said, Rav Shach had a daughter named Miriam Razel. She passed away at the age of 14 when Rav Shach and his wife were both in Europe in the year 1940, obviously right before the Holocaust. She was buried in Vilna, right? That's where Rav Shach was at the time. He had to run. And Rav Shach said Shiva there. It was absolutely shocking that Rav Chaim Ozer Grzynski walked into the room. Chaim Ozer Grzynski was the Gadol Hador. He was living in Vilna and everything went through his house. Millions of dollars passed through his house per day. Everybody was trying to connect with him. There were, there were actual, like the mail was just sent straight to him. There was crazy things going on, obviously, in 1940 in Europe. And Rechaim Ozer was the one right there. So when he got up out of his house, right, and went to sit Shiva, by, to, to be by the Shiva of Rav Shach, Everybody was wondering. No one had had any idea what he was doing there. And he sat there for a half an hour and he was silent the entire time. Did not say a thing to Rav Shach. After a half an hour, Rav Chaim Ozer said, I also lost a daughter. Chaim Ozer lost a daughter at a young age. And he also, he knew what this felt like. He knew what it felt like Rav Shach was going through. But he got up and he said the following. Said Lule so Oz If not for the Torah being what I learn all the time, being what I play with all the time, I would have been lost in my poorness. And this is what he said. He said one needs to continue to learn Torah to be a leader of the generation.
That's what he told Rav Shach. Rav Shach remembered that line for the rest of his life. He didn't explain himself for Chaim Moser. He got up and he passed away not too long afterward. But Rav Shach felt that this was a message from above. Almost like a cold debor that a Kaddish Baruch was telling him. What he saw, his own personal mini Matan Torah, that he was supposed to be a Galo Ador. If Rechaim Ozu was trying to tell him something, then he took it on. So this is a muscle, he said. Rishach later on explained it as a muscle to two men in jail. Both wearing jail clothes that looked old and worn and torn, right? Like they had been there for a very long time. One guy, when another person told a joke, was still able to laugh and still able to smile. The other guy could not even break his smile, couldn't do anything. What's the difference between the two? One guy knows that he's getting out in a few days. So even though he's been through Gehenim and back, but he can smile now because he knows it's almost over. The other guy knows he's there forever. He's not getting out. He's got a life sentence without parole. And therefore, nothing can make him happy. Nothing's going to cheer him up. There is nothing in this world that's going to be out there. That's the difference between them. A broken, depressed person with nothing to live for, can, there's nothing that can get him out of that terrible mood. Chaim Oza was saying, a life without Torah is not a life whatsoever. There's nothing there for you. There's nothing to live for. You have no idea what your purpose is. There's no idea behind what your life is all about. You're just living every day to live the next day. You're living the next day to be able to get to the next day. There's nothing there. When there's Torah behind you, you know you're doing your purpose. You realize that you're doing something that was meant to be how you're supposed to be. Therefore, the second guy who lives a life where he knows he has a purpose, he knows there's something there for him, he could be consoled. He could be consoled. That guy can be consoled. So that's the idea behind it. He knows that they're able to be such things. We see both above that only HaKadosh Baruch Hu understands. And whatever the reason why these things happen, it doesn't matter. Without that Torah, then you're right. I would be totally lost. Without purpose, without direction, I'd have nowhere to go. Baruch Hashem, we have the ability to have direction in life. We just have to find it within the Torah that we learn every single week. And as a last note, I'm just going to point out this Yalena Shabbat doesn't say, but I will tell you, if you haven't seen little messages from certain things that you've learned over the week, if something that I said tonight didn't hit you personally, then I think you're looking at your learning in a different way. It doesn't mean that everything you learn has to affect you, and everything you learn, it should, but it won't, right? But everything you learn should have a direct message for you. But there should be a direct message that you're getting, if not daily, then weekly through your learning. You're getting something. You're hearing something that you actually thought about, and it actually clarified something for you. If that's not happening, then either you need to pay attention more and get off your phone. That's one thing. Or you're going to have to start thinking to yourself, there must be something that I'm completely missing. What am I missing here? Because that literally is the point of Torah. It's to give you the direction in that week that you wouldn't have had otherwise. That's the idea of what it's supposed to be. Or answering a question that you had, you might not even realize you had, but you notice there's something that you might have. Okay? Shkarek, everybody. Have a great Shabbos.